0: Let me read and follow along with me. This is the word of the Lord. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight... I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. May the Lord bless his people. To the reading of his word, I've heard John Piper use a short phrase to help him and others be committed to God's word. It simply goes like this: No Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. Now, some might hear that and they might think him legalistic by saying such words, as if. He is binding the consciences of those who benefit from his ministry. But that's not it. That's not what he's doing. He is simply trying to help people prioritize God's word when they struggle to find time to read it and to meditate on it. See, it doesn't mean everyone has to use this method of not eating breakfast until you've read God's word. Doesn't mean everyone has to use this method, but, but for those who don't allow themselves to eat breakfast until they've met with God in His Word, they are impressing upon themselves the reality that the Bible is more significant. Its nourishment is more significant than the nourishment we receive from breakfast. And this is something that our American church culture needs deeply because I think in general, American Christianity has a casual commitment to God's Word. A lackadaisical commitment to God's Word. And when we have a lackadaisical commitment to God's Word, then we know God less. And we treasure Him less. Perhaps you've seen online these videos. There's a few of them I've seen where... Some people are opening up and receiving their own Bible and their own language for the first time. You ever seen one of those videos? You should go look them up later. I saw one this morning wherein these people are receiving their very own Bible. Not a Bible just to to put on the pulpit in their church, but their very own Bible they can take home and read for themselves. It's in their language. It's their first Bible. And they're weeping. And there's this room full of people who all have their own Bible and there is there is a silence and a reverence as they're flipping through the pages. Do we think of God's Word like that? Do we treasure His Word like that? Or is it so close to us? Do we have so many on our shelves and it's it's everywhere we look. It's on our phones. It's in shops as we drive down the road. It's a in every Walmart in America? Do we take it for granted because it's familiar to us in the wrong way, perhaps? Well, today, I want to take us to this stanza. And I want us to see reasons why we ought to prioritize God's Word. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And its focus is the Word of God. This longest chapter in the Bible is is focused on Scripture, God's truth, His revealed word given to His people, which you have sitting on your lap or pulled up on your device right now. In this psalm, you read words such as law, precepts, testimonies, and commandment. And and these are all words that refer in some way to God's word. Throughout the 176 verses of this psalm, the psalmist writes in glowing terms about Scripture and its vast importance. Glowing terms that we ought to be using when we speak of God's Word, if we truly believe what the Word says about itself. The way that the psalmist speaks of God's Word gives us reasons why we ought to prioritize God's Word in our lives. This summer... You will prioritize many things. We all will prioritize many things. Today, we're going to see why God's word ought to be at the top of that list. To be clear, however, I want to make this certain. When I say prioritize God's word, I mean prioritize God through his word. I, I mean prioritizing our God through his word. We ought never to separate our relationship to God's word, from our relationship to God. And so, as we begin, we have five reasons to prioritize God's word this summer and beyond. Number one, the first of five reasons to prioritize God's word. Number one, the word endures. The word endures. Look with me at verses 89 through 91 again. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand to this day, for all things are your servants. These verses use a comparison between God's commanding word over creation and his written word that we call Scripture. God spoke the earth and the heavens into existence and commanded that the natural world operate according to certain natural laws. To this day, the earth remains and it continues to operate according to God's decree. Think of it. Seasons, orbits, gravity, cause and effect, reproduction, photosynthesis. These are some of the examples of the word of God speaking and having the word, having the world that he has spoken into existence continue as it is. This happens because God's command over creation does not fail. His command over this world isn't lacking. The fact that creation carries on as it has is evidence that God is faithful. Now, here's the point that I think that the psalmist is making. Because God's word over creation does not fail, we should not expect that God's written word would fail. Make that point impressed upon your mind. Because God's word over creation does not fail, we should not expect that the written word would fail. We can remind ourselves of this every time that the sun rises. Every time that the moon passes through its phases, when we see the leaves on the tree cycle through the seasons, we can remember that God's word does not fail. He is faithful Clearly, Jesus believes that God's Word endures. We could see that written in the New Testament as well. So I ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus believes that the Word does not fail. Matthew 5, verse 18. Speaking of the Word, Jesus says, For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The enduring nature of God's word is directly tied to his faithfulness, brothers and sisters. We should no more expect God's word to fail than we expect God himself to fail. And since we don't expect God to fail... We shouldn't expect his word to fail. Looking back through old picture albums can be an interesting experience. A grueling experience, perhaps. An experience at which you cringe. We laugh when we see ourselves in the past. We laugh, and and yes, we, we do cringe because of the fads we once embraced. Whether that be clothing style or hairstyle. In fact, I remember when I was an elementary school student in the suburbs in Pasadena, Texas, it was the thing for boys to wear overalls with one strap hanging down. You know, Ryan did that. You know, he did that, okay? <laughs> We cringe, we laugh at ourselves because there were fads that we embraced throughout history. Now, while clothing and hairstyle fads aren't really a big deal ultimately, you don't want to be faddish when it comes to what you govern your life upon. You don't want to look back and see a trail of fads when it comes to what you build your life upon. You don't want to go through a new age fad. Or, or a phase where you were all into self-esteem and self-love or, or expressive individualism. You don't want to look back and see a phase when what governed your life is the approval of others or the traditions of men. No, you don't want to go through phases of mainstream cultural belief when it comes to what you build your life upon. Wake up every morning and seek the Lord. In his word. The reason why we don't need to hop from phase to phase when it comes to what we build our lives upon is because God's word is all you'll ever need. It is timeless, is it not? Timeless. Relevant in all times and in all cultures. And it will not cease to be relevant. And it will not fail no matter how much our culture may grow to denounce it and disdain it. It will not fail. And no matter what the world thinks about it, you should continue to cling to it because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through His Scripture. It will remain true without error and sufficient for us to build our lives upon so that we can please God with every endeavor. The Word of God endures. Why should you prioritize God's Word this summer and beyond? Because his word endures. But his word also sustains. The word sustains. Look back with me at our text. Verse 92. I love this verse. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. At numerous times in this chapter, the psalmist writes of experiencing affliction a deep trial that he is feeling. You can see this in verses 67, 71, 75, and in verse 107, if you care to look around a little bit further. His response to this affliction is not bitterness toward God. No, it's not running from God. His response isn't self-pity. Instead, he sees the affliction as a catalyst for greater understanding of God's word and more faithful obedience to that word. Look at me in verses 67 and 71. We'll see this just in other stanzas. He says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted. What are you? Are you crazy? Good for you? That you were afflicted? Why? That I might learn your statutes. Of course it was good. It taught him the word of God. In verses 92 and in 93, we discover that it was also God's word that sustained him. The affliction drove him to God's word, but also the word of God is what sustains him in the midst of this affliction. It's like a buoy in a stormy sea. See, God has kept the psalmist from succumbing to the devastation of the affliction with his word. All around him there are difficulties which have the potential to break him and to steal his joy, but he has God's law. And in this law, the psalmist delights. As a result, the psalmist has his head above water and he is breathing in grace, the grace of God. Because God sustained the psalmist with his word, he is lit aflame with a strong resolve to never forget God's Word. Look at verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. It's interesting to note here as well, one commentator pointed this out to me, that it is God working by the Word which brings life to the psalmist here in verse 93. By them, you, God, Right? have given me life. So God is using his word in order to bless him, to sustain him in the midst of these trials. When you would expect to see someone drowning in despair, by God's grace, if they are delighting in God's word, you will find instead a heart that is steadied by God at peace instead of spiritually flailing about. If we look in the same Psalms, Psalm 119 verse 165, you'll see this same concept at play. Look with me there, just over a, a page or two. Psalm 119 verses, verse 165. The psalmist writes this, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Do you want to be sustained in your difficulties? Do you want to know, truly know peace? Then you love his law. Seek him in his law. I remember, brothers and sisters, a time in my life where I was so depressed that the only time I really felt at peace was when I was opening God's word and reading it for myself and and meditating on its words and what it meant. As I read it, I felt relief gone, or a burden gone, relief and peace for my sorrow. Have you felt the same? I think that Charles Spurgeon knew something very similar. He said this of God's word. When worn with pain, until the brain has become dazed and the reason well nigh extinguished. A sweet text has whispered to us its heart-cheering assurance, and our poor, struggling mind has reposed upon the chest of God. Have you experienced that peace? It's real and it's true for those who will seek his word and trust what? It says, knowing that God has spoken it, and he continues to speak through it as we read it and meditate upon it today. You will experience trials this year. You will experience trials throughout life, which is why you need to prioritize God's word. Through it, God will lift your weary head and revive your spirits so that you desire to cling more closely to his truth, so much so that you are committed to not forgetting it. So often we look to our circumstances, don't we? We look to our circumstances for peace, for happiness, for security, for hope. But what do we do when our circumstances are not happy? They're not secure, but instead they're full of conflict and pain, fear and sorrow. We need to be reminded that our circumstances don't have the capacity to sustain us in this life. They're up and down. They're all around. If if you're at peace right now, if you you have peaceful circumstances right now, it won't last long, will it? And perhaps you don't have peaceful circumstances right now, but you're looking to circumstances to change. And your hope to be in those changing circumstances. There's a book called The Greener Grass Conspiracy that I want to recommend to you. It's by Stephen L. Troge. It's a little book on contentment. I highly recommend it. And in the book, he talks about how we play the if-only game. If only this would change in my life, then I could be happy. If only I would get this or have this or experience that, then I could truly be secure. I could truly have my life begin. If only. That's a foolish game to play, and it's a recipe for misery. Because the things in this world are passing away, John tells us in the New Testament. But God's Word, we already read, didn't we? It's not passing away. It's timeless. It's relevant no matter where you are in the world, no matter what time in history that you live in. It's relevant. It sustains. It doesn't change Cling to the life-giving word and don't just read it. Don't just read it. Delight in it. Meditate on it. Use it to commune with God. Meet with God in the word. Don't just read it and say, okay, I've done what I need to do. Understand that God speaks to us through it. Have him speak to you. Think about what it means, how you can respond in praise, how you can respond in further trust what that says about him and how that love and that justice and that goodness and that unchangingness is directed toward you in Christ. And find its peace in doing so. In devastating circumstances, Jesus knew the sustaining nature of God's word. He held tightly to God's word. Whenever Satan came to tempt him, he had been um, fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And each time Satan tempted him, what did he respond with? God's word, scripture from the Old Testament. He quoted it and he, he used it as his weapon against temptation. Our savior did it. Are we going to do it? We ought to prioritize the word because the word, yes, endures. It sustains and it assures as well. Point number three, the word assures. Look with me at verse 94 back in our text. The psalmist says, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. This first statement in verse 94, I am yours, is actually a huge encouragement. The world often bristles at the idea of belonging to someone. Have you ever noticed this? When we're thinking about the world, it bristles, it responds negatively to the idea of belonging to another. Many people don't tolerate the thought of being bound to another person in that way. But for Christians, it's it's joyfully comforting because we belong to God. We belong to him. And it's comforting to us because we know who God is. It's who we belong to that makes it so comforting. In, in all of his grace, compassion, wisdom, faithfulness, power, and love, we belong to him. And then we, we know also who we were as rebels, as those who were ungodly, helpless sinners. And yet, he made us his own. And yet, he brought us to himself and we know how he did it too. Us as rebels, he brought rebels to himself through the humble life, atoning death and victorious resurrection of his only son. This is comforting indeed to belong to God. And based on this belonging, the psalmist cries out for deliverance from his current trial. He says, "Save me. Save me based on the fact that he is he's belonged, that he is belonging to God." Now, the second part of verse 94 might sound to you like the psalmist believes God will save him because of his works. Because he has sought God's precepts. But I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think that's what the psalmist is is getting at. I think it's the psalmist's seeking after the word that gives evidence of his belonging to God. He is revealing, I am yours. Through I have sought your precepts. This shows us that we should prioritize God's word this year because it is a mark of those who belong to God. I think that's what the psalmist is saying. Those who belong to God seek his word. It's a mark of those who belong to him that they pursue God in his precepts, in his law, in his commandments. If you confidently say to God, I am yours, then you should also be able to say, I have sought your precepts. Those who are his, seek him in his word. You have been purchased for God out of the slave market of sin at the price of Jesus' death. So seek to know him and seek to obey him according to God's word. If you don't seek his word, then you don't know how to please him the one who made you his own. Show yourself to be of those who can say to God, I am yours. Seek his word and experience the assurance of seeing that mark of ownership upon you when you do so. There are those who say that they belong to God, but don't seek his word. There are those who say, yes, I am a believer, I am a Christian, yet they don't seek God in his word. Now, They may be in a season of strain. Or perhaps they don't belong to him in the first place. One of these two might be where you're at. Maybe you're in a season of strain from God's word. And I encourage you, I exhort you, return to God. Stop your straying. Run back to him. Seek him in his word. There is forgiving grace always in Christ, isn't, isn't there? Always. Open arms, come to him humbly, repentantly, and find that he loves you still because of Christ. But perhaps if you search and you ask questions of your heart and you ask God to help you see the true nature of your heart, maybe you conclude that you, you don't really know him. What hope is there for you? If you conclude, I don't know God. Then turn to him, turn to Christ for redemption, for forgiveness of sins, for your soul to be cleansed, for you to be free from sin slavery and God's judgment because Christ Jesus came and paid it all just like we heard preached or heard sung earlier. It's a mark that If we're believers, we will seek him in his word. Are you seeking? We we should also prioritize God's word because the word captivates. It captivates. Look at verse 95 with me. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. In verse 95, we see that the psalmist will not be Parted from the word, no matter how devastating his trial may be. He will not be separated from it and meditating on it. Wicked people want to destroy him. So what will his next move be? Consider the testimonies of the Lord. That's his next move. I'm going to turn to God's word, even though uh, my life is being sought. I'm going to turn to scripture. This is because the Word of God has so captivated him that nothing will pry his heart away from God's truth. Hardship drives him to the Word, not from it. Trials and affliction are often the excuse that people use for not reading the Bible. Perhaps you've seen this be true in people's lives. And maybe it's because the trial is so consuming that for that person they feel like they can't give attention to anything else because that trial has has been so, it's treated, they've treated it like it's it's dominated their lives and they've become myopic in the way that they view their lives. They've gotten tunnel vision and they think that I can't, give attention to anything else or perhaps because it's because they're angry at God for allowing this pain in their lives but so often affliction becomes the reason why people actually drift and and turn away from God's word when they should be turning to God's word the psalmist will have none of this he'll have none of this he knows God and what God has revealed in his word and in this trial he cannot afford to distance himself from God What is it in your life that is strong enough to push you away from God's Word? What is it in your life that's strong enough to push you away from God's Word? We're honest with ourselves. We can say, well, according to God's Word, it shouldn't be anything. We know sometimes there are those things. We need to seek Christ in his word for who he is, for who the word reveals him to be. I I thought of John 6 in writing this. If you remember, Jesus, he he feeds the 5,000, and then he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's in Capernaum. And the people that he fed come and find him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee the next day. And they're seeking him, and Jesus knows why they're seeking him. He says, you didn't come because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Their motivation was wrong. And so Jesus spends this bread of life discourse continuing to point back to himself as the bread of life, the one that they must consume by faith. They continue to be unbelieving, however, and they end up leaving and that's when he, he turned to the disciples and says, are you going to go too? And Peter says, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, in that text, they were seeking Christ for the wrong reasons, just for what he could give them, feeding their bellies, being perhaps that, that military leader to overthrow Rome. They were looking to him for the wrong reasons with the wrong motivation. Open up God's Word, brothers and sisters, and seek Him for who He is. Not for who you want Him to be, but for who He is. And don't let something send you away, like those Jews in chapter 6, of John, who did not remain with Him. They didn't truly believe that He had the words of eternal life. In our text, the psalmist shows us that the word of God is worthy of our continued attention no matter what our circumstance. And what if you don't feel that way about God's word? What if you don't feel the way that he feels about the word of God, wherein you can have such a devastating trial and you continue to press into Scripture? If you don't feel that way, then, then plead with God that your heart would be changed. Sometimes I'm reading through the Psalms and I'm thinking to myself, I don't feel the same way that David does about God's word here. I stop and say, God, please change my heart. Please work through this prayer and work through this text to make it so that I do feel this way so that I do celebrate you, so that I do cry out for you based on what you're revealing in the scriptures. If you don't see that kind of zeal in your heart for God's word, then plead, repent, say, God, help me. I know that you want me to feel this way. Change me. Perhaps also you're not captivated by God's word because you have not spent as much time in it to see how captivating it truly is. It is. Spend more time in it And you'll see, the Holy Spirit will begin to work through the scriptures to show you just how valuable they are to your soul and your soul's nourishment. The more time you spend in it, the more time the Spirit uses it to change you from the inside out and to give you a taste that it is good. Some people I know say it's too hard to understand. The Bible's too hard to understand. And so they move away from reading it and meditating on it. But let me tell you, read the Bible. If that's you, read the Bible and know that, yeah, you you won't understand everything you're reading, but you'll understand some things. And the next time you come back to that text, if you continue to commit yourself to reading the Bible, then you'll know more than you did before. You'll pick up on more. You'll have a greater depth of understanding then. The more you read it, the more you'll understand it. And so I find it strange that we, we tend to want to not pick up the Bible because we think we're not going to understand it when if we would read it more, then we would understand it more and then we could glory in Christ more and have more peace. We don't understand everything, but you'll understand some things and you'll grow and you'll increase in that understanding. Let me show you a promise. If you, if you tend to neglect the Word of God because you don't understand it, let, let me show you a promise. That we have in the New Testament. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Look at how Paul talks to Timothy about what he is saying. He says this. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So there's responsibility that Timothy has, right? Think over what I say. Do the work of thinking. It doesn't mean that you you can just open the Bible and it's going to just, you know, like you can plug your brain into it and you're going to, you know, grow in your understanding of it. No, that's not how it works. You have to apply yourself and yes, you do have to think. But look, there's a, there is this promise he gives to Timothy. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You, yes, do your part. You uh, apply yourself. Commit to this effort of thinking about the word and the Lord will give you understanding. You believe that. If you believe that, then open up the Bible and read it more. Meditate on it more. Have you allow a trial to push you away from God's word? It's another question we have to ask, I think, in light of our text. Have you allowed a trial to push you Away from God's word. Again, there is forgiveness in Christ, return to Him. It's what sustains. It's what sustains you and keeps you pursuing God, keeps you per- pursuing faithfulness, helps you to have your burdens borne by Him. It is captivating once you understand it and you read it more for yourself. Another word, another point here for us to meditate on this morning in terms of our prioritization of the Word of God is that the Word transcends. This summer and beyond, prioritize the Word because it transcends. Look with me at verse 96 in our text. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In verse 96, the psalmist makes a contrast here. When he looks around at all the things in the world that he can occupy himself with, he perceives that it all has limited value. All the things that he could be focusing on and consuming himself with, all of them have limited value. With all of it, you get to the point where there's no longer return on your time, energy, and resources. He knows this. In fact, too much investment on the things of earth becomes dangerous because it leads to idolatry. It leads to addictive and harmful behavior. It's dangerous for your soul. That's not true of God's word, though. Spending too much time in God's word is not dangerous for your soul. It's not, it doesn't lead to idolatry, and it doesn't have harmful, addictive tendencies. It's not true of God's word because the psalmist says the commandment of the Lord is exceedingly broad, which means this. It means there is no limit to the perfection of God's word. There's no limit to its perfection. Like like I prayed a moment ago, every word of God proves true from Proverbs 30. God's word is unlimited when it comes to the value that it has, when it comes to what it can give to your heart and your inner person. It is unlimited in value. There's nothing in this world that we can look around and say that about. Actually, when we look around and we think about the things that we we really love and we'd like to enjoy, now, they're good things, and we can receive them as good gifts from God. But if we spend too much time with them, then they become idolatry. They become idols for us. But But that doesn't happen when we spend time meditating on God's word. We seek him through it. The more and more you do so, the more and more you will love God and the more and more you will exalt him. I don't think there's any leader in this church who's going to tell you that you're spending too much time meditating on God's word. I'm not going to say that because as we meditate on it more that we're going to have our worship increase, our enjoyment of God increase, and our service to the body of believers in this community increase. May we pray that our hearts would be like the psalmist as he prays this in in verse 97, just a few stanzas later, or just one stanza later. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It is my meditation all the day. And it's convicting for me to think about. I know we, we obviously we have to think about other things where when we have to go to school, there's there's work, there are things we have to think about throughout the day. But are we coming back to Scripture? Are we coming back to Scripture? I heard an illustration once when it, ta- it was actually talking about prayer, but I think the illustration here can also be applied to the Word of God. My brother was writing this book and he said, um, you remember before we had cell phones really, and um, we had uh, the phone and we were talking to somebody on the phone. And um, we had to go do something else. We had to go, uh, maybe uh, go to the, the laundry room and put the laundry in the dryer or something. So you would lay down the phone right there on the countertop, right? And that person was waiting for you to come back to the phone. And so he said, I'll be right back. I have to change the laundry out. Well, while you're doing that, there's this urgency to get back to the phone, right? You knew that it's off the hook, It's the the person's on the other line, so there's this urgency to run back and get to that person so they don't have to wait long. Well, think of all of your activities, the the things that you have to do throughout the day, like phones that are off the hook, right? And you're picking up this phone, you're saying, okay, I need to take the kids to school. Picking up this phone, i got to go to work and I've, I've got this meeting, right? Those are all phones, but the one you have to keep getting back to is the Word of God. You, you, you hang that one up, and you, you've got the other one on, that's off the hook, right? That's the most important one. Hang up the other ones, but that's the one that you should leave off the hook and keep coming back to it in between all the responsibilities you have throughout the day. The other ones, as you finish them, you can hang them up, right? Hang it up, but not the Word of God. Leave that one off the hook so there's this urgency for you to return back to it in between your activities as you can to think about it, to pray in light of it, to enjoy God through it. Brothers and sisters, we see why we ought to prioritize God's word. And that might be cliche for us to think about this, but imagine if you, you couldn't replace your Bible easily. In our culture, we can. Can't we? We can go and buy another one at the store. We can order one off of Amazon. We, we've we got our phones and we can pull it up really quickly. But if if you couldn't, if you're like one of these tribes that, had their one Bible in their language and your house was on fire. I hope that what you would grab is the scripture because of its value beyond anything else in this world. If you couldn't replace it, would you grab that? Would, would you, as you're, as you're uh, taking your kids out, would you say, I've got to get the word of God. Because its value, its depth, its sufficiency, its perfection is what I need and what this family needs more than anything else. Because it is the way that we relate to God. He speaks to us and we respond to it with prayer and praise and thanksgiving. And the great thing about it too is that the word of God, we, we tend to think of it as being read in in our personal devotions in the morning where we're sitting by ourselves, but we have the privilege of reading it with our community of faith. I love the fact that the word of God is read here so much on a Sunday morning. The scriptures are read and they're enjoyed together with the body of Christ. And so as I read and I, I get to know God through it, then I can share that with somebody else in my body and they can do the same with me. And as you have all these people reading the scriptures together and talking about it with one another, it's like the, the truth is reverberating from heart to heart to heart to heart. And there is this huge resounding sound of praise that comes from our hearts to God together as his community of faith not just for us to have you know, over a cup of coffee in the morning, but together as the body of Christ. And we can increase in our prioritization of God's word when we will do it with the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us what we need in Scripture. Thank you that as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the scripture is sufficient. It's, it's profitable for, for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in godliness so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Not some good works, every good work. So please give us grace to devote ourselves to your word afresh today. And Lord God, if we have not been devoted to you and your word, forgive us and thank you that Jesus Christ came to die not only for the, the things that we do that we shouldn't, but also when we neglect the things we should do, which is, which includes pursuing you through Scripture. Thank you for your forgiveness that comes through his life and death and resurrection. And I pray, Lord God, that, that knowing that love, knowing that forgiveness, it would propel us into your word afresh, and that we would experience a sustaining power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.